I don't know, you know, that we've inspired people. I just know that we're doing what we believe is right and what we believe somebody needs to do. I want to get money out of politics. So actually fighting corruption and reforming our system and doing things to stop the threats to our democracy. I think that that's incredibly important, probably now more than ever. What universal basic income is going to do is it's going to really, really improve and you know, have a huge spike in entrepreneurship. You're going to see kids across this country start new businesses that will give birth to jobs of the future, jobs that you and I haven't even thought about, can't even imagine right now. Having compassion in and of itself isn't enough. You need to take action. Otherwise, it's just a meaningless word that makes you feel good, but doesn't actually do anything. And so we need to elevate the, the level of, of love and compassion we have for humanity into meaningful action to get them the support that they need and deserve the basic human dignity. When we come together that, and we tell authentic stories about how policies and politics impacts our lives, we can actually make a big difference and change people's minds on really important issues. Zach, this week, we have a very special episode of Yang Speaks, where we're going to talk to a bunch of the congressional candidates that Humanity Forward has endorsed. Uh, and I'm pumped for this because here at Yang Speaks, we like to talk about um, the work that people are doing. Uh, and right now, one of the most important things that we can be doing, I think everyone knows I feel this way, uh, is pass cash relief for people. We need to get cash into people's hands. Uh, and so I've been doing what I can to beat the drum um, with current members of Congress. But this being America and politics being politics, one of the best things we can do is actually get people into Congress that believe in cash relief. Uh, or if they're already in Congress, then uh, get them to lean into it. So Humanity Forward has backed at this point uh, maybe 15 to 20 candidates around the country. And if we get behind them and they win their races, imagine waking up in 2021 and having dozens of members of Congress who are part of a cash relief caucus. That is something that we can make happen. And that's what we're working on right now. That's what this episode of Yang Speaks is about, is some of the candidates who we think could become part of the cash relief caucus uh, and help pass pandemic relief in an early version of UBI. This is, I'm not, I don't want to, I'm going to make this declarative statement. I'm not sure if it's 100% true, but I think we're the only podcast that endorses candidates. Unless maybe like Bernie had a podcast for a little bit or Hillary did. Um, but other than that, I think we are, which is exciting. And I think there's two reasons to listen. One is that there's so much noise out there about what's happening on the ground. And so these candidates, like a lot of noise about Texas turning blue. So having Donna on to talk about what she's seeing on the ground as a candidate, I think is fascinating if that's actually a realistic outcome. The other thing is one thing I learned, Andrew, on the trail was how important down ballots are, um, both during a major election year like 2020, but other years too. And having looked in the, the mayor's race for us in New York, everybody has an opinion about Bill de Blasio, not even just in New York City, but outside. But only 12% of New Yorkers actually vote for that race because it happens in June the year after an election year, I guess June 2021, I believe is that primary of next year. So this stuff matters. And this is how 
change actually gets done, it's not just your big name candidates we all know and love and hear of, but it's the smaller ones that actually get seats of power, seats of influence and seats of change. And we're hoping to change that. Would you agree, Andrew? Yeah, I would. And I think that there are incredible opportunities in this race uh, this November because you, you're going to see uh, turnout go up all over the place. Uh, mm-hmm. And that could lead to outcomes that people would never have thought um, were possible even weeks ago. Uh, so I'm very, very enthusiastic about our prospects for getting some very different types of members of Congress in. But it only happens if people vote. It only happens if people uh, donate, volunteer, get behind them. So I, I've, I've been scratching my head about this a little bit, Zach. It's like, um, you know, Yang speaks. I mean, we like to talk about ideas here. Um, and I love ideas. Uh, but I'm more of a worker than anything else. It's like, you know, like we could all be talking about universal basic income to we're blue in the face. But what's the important thing? Actually getting cash into people's hands. So Humanity Forward, thanks to many of the people who have supported us, uh, has already given over $8 million and counting in cash relief. Uh, you know, like it's still happening. And then we can get members of Congress into Congress who will push push cash relief, <laughs> push cash relief uh, <laughs> as a real solution. And think about what that payout could be. I mean, uh, you know, it could be uh, tens, hundreds of billions of dollars in people's hands uh, and we can be the lever. We can invest in these races. If you uh, donate, you know, I mean, let's say like uh, in the aggregate, thousands of dollars to one of these congressional races, it can make a huge, huge difference. Uh, And that's what we're going to see play out right now. But we have to lean into it. Um, so for folks who are listening to this podcast and think like this podcast uh, is off of our usual format, I mean, you're of course correct, um, but th- this is the spirit of what we do, which is we're actually trying to make positive things happen for people. Uh, and like it or not, sometimes politics is the best, most direct way to do that. Getting the right people in a positions of power and authority, getting the right people who will actually champion cash relief in Congress. Uh, you know, it's not enough to like sit back in your chair and be like, oh, I'm right about something like, you know, you have to do something about it. So we're doing something about it. We hope people who listen to this will join us in doing something about it. We hope that one of these candidates strikes a chord in you and you think, oh, I really love Donna or Cossum or Kara or whoever it is. Maybe you love them all. Um, hopefully you love at least one of them and you're like, oh, I get behind this person. And if you don't love any of the candidates that you hear today, then I'm sorry, because they're very lovable. Um, in my opinion, there's probably something wrong with you, but, <laughs> but, but there are other <laughs> candidates at movehumanityforward.com, um, that you can check out and see who you'd like to get behind. I would encourage everyone to at least get behind someone, uh, because that's how change is going to happen. That's what we're working on every day. So tune in. We've got candidates we love joining the podcast you can get behind them too tune in to a special episode with the candidates on yang speaks this podcast is sponsored by expressvpn a few decades ago private citizens used to be largely that private what's changed the internet think about everything you've browsed searched for watched or tweeted Now imagine all that data being crawled through, collected, and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record, your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about. But in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. To keep my data private when I go online, 
I turn to ExpressVPN. Do you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell our data? The worst part is you don't know what they're doing. You don't get to have your say. That's why I use ExpressVPN. Just hit one button and then your internet connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server. No one can see your IP address. You're completely in your own private internet. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it harder for third parties to track me and harvest my data. No matter what device you're on, you just hit one button and you get your own protected connection. So if like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com yang and get three extra months for free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S VPN.com slash Yang. Go to expressvpn.com slash Yang to learn more. Welcoming to Yang Speaks, a man after my own heart, entrepreneur, congressional candidate in Florida's third district, which is, I want to say Gainesville, Adam Christensen. Welcome, Adam. Hey, hey, how are you? Adam, I love your story because you are a true startup guy. Uh, you started a company, moved across the country for it. Uh, and then you looked up at your congressional representatives and were like, you know what? <laughs> like, I think I might be able to to offer something and contribute. And then you shocked uh, expectations. You became the Democratic nominee. I think you may be the youngest congressional candidate in the country right now. Is that right? At least Democratic. Yeah. Although I turned 27 a couple of days ago, so I'm going to have to check again. Not sure at this point. Well, you're up there in terms of uh, youthful, <laughs> youthful candidates, uh, and your opponent is uh, someone who I think she she worked for the former rep who kind of made a name for himself by being a jackass essentially. <laughs> like he was like, yeah. it, it's funny how how these lines intersect. But uh, you can go ahead and share the story about. Uh, I guess both the incumbent right now who's who's getting out of the way and then your opponent. Yeah, so um, Ted Yoho kind of, you know, kind of gave us a gift. He actually put this race on the map. Uh, he's the one that uh, verbally assaulted uh, AOC on the Capitol steps. Um, he's also one of the four people who voted against making lynching a federal crime. Uh, and he also didn't like the Survivor's Bill of Rights, the ERA, didn't think the, uh, what was it, the... Um, Oh, shoot. The Voting Rights Act was constitutional. That's something that he didn't think. So it was like all of these things he'd been doing for years, but nobody really saw exactly who he was until the AOC incident, at which point people started to even realize that uh, Gainesville existed. And so that was, uh, you know, that's kind of that was really where our campaign really it, it was a jumping off point. Honestly, uh, it was a bunch of people that kind of realized that, you know, this is the guy who's been here for a long time uh, and we basically need to tear down his, his infrastructure. Uh, with progressive ideas and preferably with young people. And it really just shot off from there. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more about the genesis of your campaign. I'm sure when you were first talking about running, people were like, what, you know, or, or thought that that was uh, a lot to bite off. Uh, but you ended up inspiring a lot of young people in a college town, uh, getting a, a ton of energy and then growing from there. Can you tell us about how you got started and really why you decided to get into this race? Yeah. Um, 
You know, one of the biggest things for me, I mean, I, I always enjoyed politics. Like I just enjoyed it. And like, I always thought, you know, someday maybe I might try to run for something, but I never really had any actual idea about it. Uh, and then, you know, tried to grow past as a, you know, the startup stage where effectively you get so big and at a certain point you have to start offering benefits to be able to keep growing. And a lot of startups just cannot get over that hurdle. And so that was one of the main reasons that caused me to jump into this was, you know, I had two companies and they both got to that hurdle. And I saw a bunch of other small ones that got to that hurdle and they either sold to bigger people or they just, you know, petered out or, or they tried to get out of it. Uh, and so for me, that's when I kind of realized, you know, that, you know, somebody needed to change that. Uh, and at the same time, I was I had looked and saw that Ted Yoho was going to retire. And so I looked and saw who the Democratic people were that were running. And I just I wasn't really impressed. And I was kind of complaining and somebody was like, well, you know what, you don't really get to complain if you're not going to do something about it. And so my response to that was, OK, well, how would you get on the ballot? And so then I took the puppy out. We went out and tried to get as many petitions as we could in the farmer's market. And within about two weeks, we had almost 600 different petitions that have been signed. And then I basically started talking to people. Um, and I sat down at a coffee shop with uh, the person who became my campaign manager. His name's uh, Anton Kernahan. He just turned 21. He was an environmental activist. And I talked to him. Basically, I was like, look, like this is what I care about. And he was like, this is what I care about. And I was like, well, what if we give both of those things a bigger platform and we actually try to run and do something here? And he's like, you know what, that's great. And so it started with one person. And then within the next couple of days, we had about four. And then the next week we had 10. And then eventually we got up to 50. We're all under the age of 23. And basically we were running because we believed that things could actually change and get better and nobody else was going to do it. And so we had to, and that's really what we did and what we've continued to do. And I don't know, you know, that we've inspired people. I just know that we're doing what we believe is right and what we believe somebody needs to do. And we're seeing a lot of support of people that believe exactly what we believe and have just been waiting for somebody to come out and say it because they believed it for so long, but nobody has been willing to speak truth to power and actually come out and say what they believe and fight for it. And so that's kind of what's propelled us so far, I think. Yeah, it's a it's a very relatable story on several levels. I agree with you that startups have been uh, hindered by the the fact that we've just put so much on small businesses in terms of uh, benefits, healthcare. Like, I, I mean, I've run companies, and it's true when you make that transition where you are providing full on benefits to folks and people are making multi year commitments to you. It's a lot of pressure. Uh, as a company. And right now we made it so that that pressure breaks a lot of startups, to your point. Uh, what were the startups you were involved with? Uh, you know, I remember the one, but I want you to speak to it a little bit so people get a sense of, of uh, what brought you here. Yeah. So the very first one that I started right out of college, I had about $3,000 in my pocket that I'd made from odd jobs working in the summer on that on the drive. Uh, and it was essentially it was catching international suppliers trying to screw over family owned businesses and American businesses here that were selling natural products. The second company really focused on kind of the hemp and CBD industries, which are booming brand new industries but have zero regulation. Nobody's actually looking out for other people or trying to hold others accountable. And so that was really what I was doing. And I kind of feel like it's a good transition, especially to politics, because that's what congressional representatives are supposed to do. They are supposed to hold people who try to take care uh, advantage of those in their community accountable and stop them. 
Yeah, there's a, well, there's a lot of that going on, unfortunately, which brings us to your opponent, <laughs> who has like this backstory that I'm very, I, I confess to being confused by. So it's like, okay, I get Ted Yoho. He's been there for a long time. He's like a, you know, rich businessman, lawyer type. Um, and then, but your opponent is not Ted. Your opponent no. is his former employee of some kind who worked in like a communications uh, capacity is that right it's a little fuzzy for me it's very it, well here's the thing is it's very fuzzy because it keeps changing like every other day um so here's what we know we actually we went and looked into this person because you know in, in what i do is i essentially you know try to look through marketing and bs and try to see what is real what is not and be able to actually know um and so we started looking into this person and the very first thing I said, the first commercial I ever saw her was she goes, I grew up on a cattle ranch in Colorado and Obama bankrupted me and I was homeless. And I was like, you know, that's an incredible story. I wonder if any part literally of it incredible. is incredible, <laughs> like literally unbelievable. That's amazing. Like you, I love, like, I don't know who you are, but like, you got me, like, I'm ready for this story. Like I want to know about it. And so I looked into it and I couldn't find the cattle ranch. Like the first most simple thing is I grew up on a cattle ranch and I couldn't find it anywhere. No property records, nothing. And so like we spent weeks looking for this thing. And then we finally threw it out on Twitter and we're like, all right, internet, go find this because we can't find it. And whatever you find, use the hashtag, hashtag where's the cattle ranch and tell us what you find. And they found so many things, but they couldn't find the cattle ranch. It was insane. And so we eventually found a piece of land that was apparently bought by her mom at one point, but there were no buildings on it. They never lived there. So it was not a cattle ranch. On top of that, they took seven different loans out over 12 years. They had $350,000 in debt and eventually they were foreclosed on, but it was not because of Obama. It was because she went on a 108 day cruise that cost 30 grand across the world. And she literally caused her family to lose their piece of land. On top of that, it was right after she graduated from college. And so she literally transitioned out of college housing to an apartment slash hotel and then joined Ted Yoho's staff. But she said that because she had lived in a hotel, she was, quote, homeless. And she said the hotel was so bad that she called it, quote, a crack house. So literally everything about her was completely fake. And this was before she even got into politics. And so right at that moment, we knew that something like there had to be things that had happened because this is not a story that most people have ever experienced or seen. And so it was incredible for us. Um, she was his chief of staff. Uh, she was 24 years old. And about a year in, she was fired by Ted Yoho, but he refused to say why. And she was actually just, she was demoted and shipped back to Gainesville, Florida. When she got there, the entire staff in Washington was purged and she set up a consulting firm while still on his payroll and started receiving more money while doing this than she was as a chief of staff for a sitting congressional official. And also her husband's lawn mowing company started to receive money as well. Um, and he still refuses to endorse her. So we realized something very shady and sketchy was going on. Uh, and nobody still knew what the incident was that led to her being fired. And so this is who we're running against, somebody who's made up their entire life story, everything about themselves, and it's just, it's insane. And nobody has ever looked into it. Well, you know, it, unfortunately, uh, a lot of local journalism has 
uh, withered and died. Uh, and so not that many people are digging in. All the source documents, they have it. They've just refused to actually look into it. Yeah, it's it's a tough time for uh, congressional candidates who are trying to get a spotlight. I've I've seen this with, with some of the Humanity Forward candidates, including you. And, and this is a uh, Republican-leaning district that seems like it could flip. It's interesting because Ted's been there for a while. Um, the, his uh, your opponent, um, I think many people just assume that she'd just sort of sleepwalk into the seat. Uh, even though as soon as you start scrutinizing it any degree, you're like, wait a minute, this person is <laughs> like, why is this person like the the prohibitive favorite, the Republican nominee to, to be a member of Congress? Uh, and you are, uh, you know, to me, like right on time, like if, if you can get the support and visibility you need, uh, you would be such a fun, transformative figure in Congress. Uh, we would have in, fun. In part, oh, it would be so I mean, much fun. Well, we, 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 we see the... <laughs> I mean, we see eye to eye on many issues. Um, one of the things that I'm passionate about right now is championing cash relief during this pandemic uh, and universal basic income longer term. But first things first, just cash relief. Like, wh where are you on uh, trying to get money into the hands of people after we get you into Congress, January 2021? Well, I, I, I think I've tweeted about this quite a few times, but my first response is basically any stimulus package that anybody wants to put out, if it doesn't have cash relief, at like a thousand or two thousand dollars for people that it should be dead on arrival. It shouldn't even be taken seriously. And it should honestly be retroactive based on how much we should have been getting for the last seven, eight months. And so for me, unless it has those provisions, I'm sorry, but there is literally no reason to vote for it. Well, hopefully we can get some energy and resources your direction to save us from your opponent as, as member of Congress. Uh, and you as member of Congress would, would be a blast. Uh, where would people go to get behind you, to support you, to find out more about you and your campaign? The biggest place, uh, obviously, is our website, which would be for the many, not just me.com. Um, and that would be the best place. Uh, our Twitter and social media is AC for Congress 2020. Uh, we also have an email list and different things. But, you know, we just dropped a jobs plan. Uh, that would essentially bring about 9,000 jobs to our district. And it takes all of our big ideas like high-speed rail and broadband internet and all of these different like small business incubators and actually makes it for our area. Because we have these big ideas, but if we're not able to actually create a vision that people can get behind and actually see it in their daily lives, then we're not doing anything that's you know going to be actually substantial. And so that was a big thing for us is we created this. There's even, we even created a map where you could scroll in and see different locations and different things that would be happening in our district if we were to get into elected to office. And so for me, that's what I'm focused on. I'm not focused on a 24 hour news cycle. Like what's the most ridiculous thing that you can make up and like try to get people to care about. It's about people and it's about what we can actually accomplish and, you know, make our lives better. That's what Let's matters. make our lives better. Amen, Adam. Amen. Uh, so, so pumped for your race. So pumped for you to become uh, uh, the newest member of Congress out of Florida's third district. Uh, Adam, thank you for taking on this challenge. Thank you for running. Uh, it's been a joy to support you and your campaign. Uh, yeah, let's just keep fighting. Keep fighting. And the, the gap between you and your opponent is very, very wide. <laughs> it's fun. You know, we've had a lot of, honestly, most people don't have fun when they run congressional campaigns. Like they get to a point and they're just, you know, it's just not fun anymore. And we have had so much fun. 
literally the last two days because my birthday was two days ago literally the last two days have just been phenomenal and like i have not stopped laughing pretty much for any point of them and it's just you gotta have fun you gotta love what you're doing and you have to actually care about people and if you're grounded in that you're gonna do okay we'll be with you every step of the way adam i'm really excited for you and your race thank you so much This podcast is sponsored by Helix Sleep. I've always been a mattress guy because I figured if I'm going to do something for up to eight hours, maybe I should do it right. And Helix Sleep lets you do it right by sending you one of 20 unique mattresses that's tailored for you. I took the Helix Sleep quiz, takes only a couple minutes, and I was matched with a Helix Dawn mattress because I wanted something that felt firm and I sleep on my back. That mattress is exactly what I needed, but strangely enough, my kids now seek out that mattress in the house and want to sleep on it even though I did not order it with them in mind. If you have a high quality mattress, it is a game changer, a huge difference maker. Don't take my word for it. Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It is even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com yang. That's helixsleep.com yang. This is their best offer yet and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Next up, this incredible candidate running in Nebraska. She's a nonprofit leader who's been working with people for years, and now she's running for Congress. I think she's going to win. Kara Eastman. And now we have the amazing Kara Eastman, who's running for Congress out of Nebraska's 2nd District, which I think includes Omaha. Uh, that's right, yeah. right? Welcome, Kara. Welcome to, welcome to Yang Speaks. You and I met when I was campaigning in Iowa, um, because for those of you who aren't geographical experts, uh, Iowa and Nebraska touch each other, <laughs> like right there. Yes. And I, I said this then, and I, I you were the most inspiring political speaker I'd ever heard talk so thank you for that it was it was fun and you know politics isn't always that much fun politics is not that much fun but you've been in the change making uh line of work for a long time um you and i bonded over the fact that you also started and ran a nonprofit that did incredible work in your case it was a, a children's nonprofit based in nebraska yep uh, it's called omaha healthy kids alliance it still exists but i'm no longer there i was hired to start it in 2006 and our focus was uh, originally was eliminating childhood lead poisoning. And then eventually we grew into a green and healthy housing organization. Well, your evolution is similar to mine in that you run a nonprofit and you see all these problems uh, in our communities and you think, wow, someone should really do something about that. And then you're like, I guess it might be me <laughs> because after you work uh, as a nonprofit leader, you kind of get a sense as to, uh, frankly, like the need for different solutions to solve the problems you're tackling every day. That's right. Well, and, and these are problems that can be fixed, 
if we have, because we have the resources to fix them in this country, we just don't have the political will. Yeah, well, you're changing that. Tell us about your race in Nebraska for people who don't know that much about it. And also, and you can do this in order, um, when did you first hear about universal basic income? Well, um, I heard about it from you on the campaign trail. (laughs) (laughs) So there's that. But um, yeah, it's it's an exciting race here in the second district. All eyes are on us because in 2008, uh, we gave an electoral college vote to Barack Obama. In Nebraska, we split our electoral college votes similar to Maine. And so we have that one that some people are saying could be the deciding electoral college vote. It's a little terrifying to think about, but could be true. And uh, Biden is ahead in the polls, and as am I. And so we have a real opportunity to elect the first woman to serve the district. Uh, somebody I'm running against a, a Trump Republican who's voted with him 93% of the time, and also to give that electoral college vote to get rid of Trump. Wow, you are up. It is very hard to beat an incumbent. Tell us more. Like it, it sounds like uh, has this guy been in Congress for a long time? He's in his second term, and you know I I, I actually ran against him in 2018 and came up 1.9% short in one of the closest races in the country. So we're back again and we've given people four years to see him in action and he's betrayed the district over and over again. And they're looking for somebody who's actually gonna represent them. Wow, you're gonna make that that the comeback. It's like Kara, the return, you know, like Rocky two a little bit. Like like the, the, the first race was Rocky one. <laughs> We all know what happens at the end of Rocky 2. Rocky wins, for those of you who haven't seen it. (laughs) Uh, One reason why I'm thrilled to get you into Congress is that uh, you are for cash relief during the pandemic. And someone who's worked with families the way you have, um, you would be for cash relief because you understand the good it would do uh, in the lives of so many people in your district. That's right. We have so many politicians in office, in particular on the Republican side, who do not seem to understand the needs of regular working people. And that, you know, most of us are one economic shortfall away from total bankruptcy, total annihilation of our family. And if that's in in the form of hitting a pothole and having your tires blow out, when you haven't, you don't have the money saved up to actually pay for that, which is challenging to do because it's expensive, or getting laid off from your job. And now we see this in the middle of the pandemic, where so many people have lost their job and therefore lost their health care. So it's we need people in Congress who understand this. We need more working class people in Congress. The average net worth of a congressperson right now is a million dollars. We need people who understand this stuff. And I've had the honor of working in nonprofit organizations for over 20 years. My worldview is framed by the clients that I've had the honor of serving, and I believe they deserve a voice. So tell us about your race. I mean, you came within a hair's breadth of winning in 2018, and what are you seeing this time? We're seeing a lot of change with independents in the district. About a quarter of the district are registered independents. We started our campaign this time by knocking doors of independents. In 2018, we knocked on 200,000 doors around the entire district. And so, um, and what we heard from independents this time was their number one priority was getting Donald Trump out of office. So when we have a congressperson who has so heavily aligned himself with Trump and with the Republican Party, Nebraskans are pretty independent. We have a unicameral. We've had, uh, we've actually been a prairie progressive state in the past where we had Democrats as our governor, as our U.S. senators. 
And and I think a lot of people have seen that the Trump administration's failed promises have actually really hurt Nebraska, especially in terms of our agricultural economy and especially in terms of that tax bill, which we know was not for regular working people. I agree with you that independents right now are looking up and saying we got to turn the page for our country. Trump has to leave. Uh, And I think that's one reason why I am so pumped about your race and other races around the country that uh, you have a wind at your back uh, this time that I don't think has existed in my recent memory. Um, So we need to get behind candidates like you and make sure that you you win. I, I agree. Well, and, and when we look at 2018, people talk about, you know, the fact that it was great that we flipped the House, but, you know, 84 percent of incumbent Republicans in the, in the House kept their seat. So I, I would not describe that as a blue wave, but I think that we can have that this time, expanding the House majority, flipping the Senate and obviously flipping the presidency. Uh, the the I'm optimistic about uh, your race and many other races, Carl. I think the toughest thing is going to be after you all get to Congress is trying to get that institution working um, more efficiently and effectively uh, than it has been uh, in quite some time. But it starts with getting people like you in. Having a nonprofit leader like you uh, who's so close to your community um, in Congress trying to craft policy would be such a quantum leap forward. Uh, and, and it is funny, like talking to you now, I think other people ha- might have the same impression um, because like you said, most members of Congress at this point are uh, very affluent. Uh, you know, a lot of them come from uh, business backgrounds and uh, backgrounds where they can plug into like a network of money. Um, and you come from a very different background. It's very, very grassroots driven uh, the fact that a candidate like you is poised to make a bit of history, uh, political history, it sounds like in Nebraska, uh, is such a great sign for 2020. Um, what would your top legislative priorities be after you get sworn in? Because you're going to win and you're going to get sworn in 2021. Aside from you know dealing with the pandemic in a responsible way that actually demonstrates leadership and prevents human lives from being lost, uh, my two priorities are healthcare. Fixing our broken healthcare system, we're gonna st- we have to start with lowering prescriptions. I'm running because my mother was prescribed a $2,500 pill that she couldn't afford to take, and I want to get money out of politics. So actually fighting corruption and reforming our system and doing things to stop the threats to our democracy, I think that that's incredibly important. Probably now more than ever. So many people agree with you on those priorities. I love them. It's uh, economic relief fixing our healthcare system and getting money out of politics slash tying our politics to people. Uh, my proposal, as you know, was give everyone hundred democracy dollars. Um, so the goal would be to wash the corporate money out. So it's not even quite get the money out of politics. It's more like tie the money to what ordinary people think. Um, because right now the number of people that donate to political campaigns, and if you're someone who's donated to a campaign, you should know that puts you in like the, like, maybe 10% of Americans donate to political campaigns. It's probably risen this cycle. So let's call it 12, 14, but that's still um, highly unusual. So what could we get that percentage up to if everyone had $100? And then they said, I like Cara Eastman. <laughs> you know, I'm going to, I'm going to get behind her and I've got 100 democracy dollars to do so. Like what percentage do you think we'd get up to if everyone had 100 free dollars? 
upwards of 80%. I mean, I think people would actually get engaged and get involved. And and one of the things that, that struck me, and I don't ever hear anyone talking about this, so maybe we could, but when I first started running, you know, they tell you like, go to your friends and family, ask for money, right? I did that. Like I, my friends gave me $50. It's wonderful. Yep. <laughs> but like what they mean is go to your wealthy friends and family and, and go to corporate PACs. But when I started looking at the lists of people who donate to Democrats in our district, 99.9% of those people were white people. And it was shocking to me that we have so few people of color who give to political campaigns. So, so drill down that number even more, right? And, and we know, that especially for wealthier donors, they often get prioritized. In my campaign, we, we run on a grassroots campaign. Our average donation is incredibly low. We have thousands of donors. But that's not typical. This is actually pretty different for a district like mine and just different in general, because it's not just Republicans that have done this. It's Democrats as well. So we need to change the system. Yeah, it, you're, the numbers are very, very um, damning in this regard. So I said, let's say 10% of Americans donate. And those 10% are donating 50 bucks because that's what a normal person would do. <laughs> you know what I mean? if, if you drill down to people who donate over $250, which makes you like a more serious donor, that 10% drops quickly to like, I think it's 1%. <laughs> and so, uh, and, and you're looking at the top, a uh, tenth of one percent that give like the max of twenty eight hundred um, in a, in a federal race, uh, and so when you're given fund fundraising uh, direction uh, about running for Congress, you need to raise one point six million on average to be successful. Uh, and so if if you do the math on that, like uh, it's hard to get there on like like twenty bucks. Uh, you know, you need like a lot of people, so they expect you to go chase down the folks who can give you thousands. Uh, and that's the game. And we need to change the game so that you have more representatives that actually answer to uh, people that aren't in position to give thousands of dollars. That's right. And you don't, we shouldn't have candidates or elected officials spending time doing this. This is not how, I mean, you don't want your congressperson spending six hours a day raising money. Oh, you don't want that. But unfortunately, it's the norm. Uh, Lawrence Lessig cited a study that said that members of Congress spend 30 to 70 percent of their work hours raising money. So that's six hours a day. Like That's not an exaggeration. That's not Cara just making it up. I mean, that's real. Uh, so, Cara, if people want to get behind you and help uh, push you to victory uh, on November 3rd, uh, where can they, they find out about you and how can they help? Uh, Eastmanforcongress.com on Twitter at Cara for Congress, Cara with a K. Facebook at Eastman for Congress or Instagram at Cara for Congress. And we can use all the help. We need money. We need volunteers. Uh, we need people just to spread the word on social media, whatever you can do right now. The value that gets generated in the last number of days is like a lot of things in life where like a lot of the last mile value is the most important. So it's not too late to help Cara. Uh, Cara Eastman, Nebraska, 2nd District, give, help, volunteer, text bank, phone bank, and we're going to be in position to celebrate Cara's victory. You're going to be such an incredible member of Congress, and I am pumped for it. I'm pumped to be a part of it. Thank you. That means a lot coming from you. I appreciate it. I appreciate you, Cara. Let's win. In Virginia's first district, Qasem Rashid is running for Congress uh, and he's a very compelling guy, an incredible life story, uh, has been doing work in civil rights. 
uh, trying to fight for people for years, Qasem Rashid. Welcome to Yang Speaks, the awesome Qasem Rashid. Hey, Qasem, how are you? I'm good, Andrew. How are you? Good to see you. It's good to see you too. So I feel like you and I had a, a bunch in common where, uh, are you an immigrant or the son of immigrants? Uh, I'm yourself? an immigrant. I'm an immigrant. Oh, I was yeah, four. So, uh, you were four. It counts, man. It counts. I mean, uh, exactly. you must remember uh, arriving here. Um, but the other thing we have in common is that we both have a legal background, uh, though you became a civil rights lawyer um, and uh, community activist, uh, whereas I, I did something much more soul sucking for five months. <laughs> you know, I, I did the corporate. I did the corporate law thing for a couple of years uh, because you know you, you need the paycheck to pay your student loans. But you're right; it it can be soul sucking if it's not the right fit for you, and, and that's what helped me make the ultimate jump to civil rights and human rights work full time. Yeah, so tell us a little bit more about the civil rights legal work that you did over that period of years, uh, because you'd built like a very strong following on the basis of fighting for people. Yeah, you know, I think a lot of it goes back to what my parents ingrained in my siblings and I at a very young age. So whatever you do in life, if you're not centering service to humanity, it's really a waste of your life. And that was the word that they used. And so as I got older, that was the lens with which how I looked at everything. And going to law school really opened my eyes to uh, kind of understanding the incredible role the law plays in whether people have basic access to decency and dignity or not. And uh, in law school, I got involved with a nonprofit here in Virginia uh, called the Virginia Poverty Law Center, their Office of Domestic and Sexual Violence. And so it started from a very um, early point in my legal career supporting women who are survivors. And that's pro bono work I do through this day. Um, I started working with uh, nonprofits on expanding healthcare and education access on disaster relief, was a, was a prison chaplain. And, you know, all of this to say that um, when you get to understand how folks are struggling on the front lines, you really begin to understand that, you know, on the theme of you and I having a lot in common, Andrew, you really begin to understand that these aren't Republican or Democrat issues. These are basic human issues. And it's critical that we stand together and work together and address these. Um, one of the most rewarding jobs I had was at a women's rights organization in DC, where we were able to work with the Department of Justice and, and other various government entities on just ensuring and advising that the policies being put forth really do give people equal access under the law. That's really what this has to be about. Yeah, you're a humanist and humanitarian first and foremost, I feel. Um, it's one reason I like you is that um, you, you have a very elevated perspective on a lot of these issues. You're running in a relatively rural part of Virginia um, that's been somewhat Republican leaning, but it's going purple right now. And I think you've got a great chance to win. I think you're going to have a lot of wind at your back. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about your opponent um, and your district and the race, the state of the race? How is Cossum race shaping up? Well, so the race is going great. Let me start with my opponent, career politician. He's been in office 34 years and, uh, you know, pretty heavily corporate funded, uh, hasn't really made the most kosher decisions financially, bought himself stock in a pharmaceutical company working on COVID-19 treatment way back in February, and then told us the virus is low risk and not spreading. And, you know, his entire approach, this entire campaign has been to attack me for my faith, tie to tie me to Islamic terrorism and just all sorts of ridiculous things. That's never been my style and we're not gonna respond in kind. Um, this is a district, uh, you know, if you visit Virginia, you get to really see Southern hospitality. 
And this is a district where people really uh, enjoy being in each other's company. They enjoy uh, you know, talking to complete strangers. And there's this sense of civility and, and I think honor and dignity in the folks here that I've seen, where even if you are from a different perspective or different faith or different racial background, you're treated with a lot of respect. And I really enjoyed that about living uh, in Virginia and raising our children here. Um, the race has been going extraordinarily well. Uh, and the early voter turnout um, shows us with uh, a massive lead. Uh, about 136,000 votes have been cast so far. And we're looking at the polling that we've done on people who've already voted. Right now, we are getting over 70% of the vote. And so for us, it's about you know, continuing that, uh, that trend, pushing folks to the polls, making sure we're winning the folks on the fence. And uh, we're having event after event where now uh, Republicans and Trump supporters are showing up and we're welcoming them in. And it's been a really powerful experience so far. I had the same experience on the trail Cossum where I would show up places where there were frankly not like, you know, that many Asian Americans uh, um, in some of the early states, but people will listen to you. Uh, they realize if you're there for the right reasons, um, people just want to be respected and heard. And if you respect and hear them, then they'll respect and hear you. And then they'll yeah. figure out, it's like, wait a minute, this person actually, uh, here was my experience. It's like they, they, they spent some time with you and they realize that there are only two possibilities. One, that you're an absolute crazy person or two, that you're genuinely there to help. <laughs> and then when they get rid of number one, they're like, wait, this person is actually sincere. Exactly uh, and right. that's, that, that's very, very powerful stuff. Uh, you know, it can draw in people from uh, both sides of the aisle because Americans, in my mind, are unified and being fed up right now. Uh, yeah. You know, and there are like different strains of uh, fed upness, but the, the fed upness is near universal. And if you seem like a genuine um, public servant and humanist who wants to help them and their families, they'll support you. Well, and, and we saw that yesterday, we had an event uh, here in the district which about you know, 30 people showed up, not a massive event, but certainly not tiny. It was a good good crowd. And, and we had a big Rashid for Congress sign behind me. So folks who were Trump supporters started driving by honking, you know, Trump 2020 with the Trump flags. And, and you know, we ignored it. And then a whole bunch of them showed up carrying a Trump flag uh, and just kind of yelling and screaming. And I paused the event and I had the microphone. So I, I, I kind of raised my voice to, to the, the Trump supporters. And I was like, hey guys, you don't need to yell you can be part of this conversation too. Why don't you come on in? And I think I caught them off guard because I think they expected me to kind of shout them out. I said, yeah, come on in, let's have a conversation. Uh, I got their name, One, the guy's name was Chad and we actually had a pretty meaningful conversation. Um, you know, I refused to respond to the vitriol, but at the end of the day, after the event ended, Andrew, out of these 30 people, five of them walked up to me one by one and said, I'm a lifelong Republican. I have never voted Democrat in my entire life. I feel like I don't really have a party. I wasn't sure where to vote. But now after seeing the way you treat people, even if they disagree with you, you've got my vote. And I'm like, that's brilliant because that's exactly yeah. what I'm trying to build. There are so many people who feel politically adrift right yeah. now because if you're a lifelong Republican and you look up at Donald Trump and you say, this is not what I signed up for. Like, you yeah. know, I voted for this guy last time and like this has been a crushing disappointment and yeah. uh, uh so then they're looking around and saying what do i do and you know you presented the right kind of unifying figure and message for them to say like he's sincere he wants to help 
so Kasim, you are for cash relief, like after you get to Congress, when's the first time you were exposed to a universal basic income? Uh, like when did you first hear about it? You know, so I'm a student of history and uh, there's a great book by Michael Hart uh, called The 100, where he uh, ranks 100 most influential people in history. Um, it's a great way to sound really smart by only reading like a five page excerpt on every you know, major figure in history. And, and number 52 uh, was, uh, or is, he ranks a person named uh, Omar, who was a second caliph uh, after Prophet Muhammad. And Omar was not just a religious figure, but he was an economic genius. And he introduced this concept of UBI about 1400 years ago uh, to the, you know, the, the Arabian Peninsula and, and to the Islamic empire at that time. And it was designed to be exactly that, you know, uh, a, a guaranteed form of cash payments to working families to ensure that they could have a basic level of, of livelihood and it helped ignite the economy. And, and that's actually why Michael Hart, uh, Dr. Michael Hart ranks him as number 52 because of his economic genius. And that was one of them. So for me, this principle is something that I was fortunate to be exposed to at an early age. And in my research and study, not only was I uh, excited to find out that we were close to passing UBI in the United States back in the 70s under a Republican president, no less. But if you look at all the studies around the world, uh, you find consistent study after study demonstrating that this not only uplifts people out of poverty, but it ignites the economy. It, it advances entrepreneurship and innovation. It creates upward mobility. It decreases rates of suicide and depression and mental illness and elevates senses of well-being and just the overall human experience. So I see every reason to push forward for this. Haven't uh, seen a single valid reason to, to oppose it. Yes, and you're exactly uh, the person who's going to help us pass this thing. When we get you into Congress right. and we'll all be around and say, well, you know, what, what do we do to restore uh, a path forward for millions of Americans, but also to reconstitute a sense of public trust? And, and I've run organizations and it's very hard to just go around asking people to, for their buy-in or their trust or their confidence unless you actually... Uh, step forward yourself and invest in them. Like if we as a society say, look, you, everyone has intrinsic value, your kids have value, you matter, uh, and we're not just gonna bullshit you and talk about it, like we're actually gonna put our money where our mouth is, like that is actually the, the transformative uh, change that people will respond to because yeah. they're just using people talking to them and not doing anything. And then if you actually do something that meaningfully impacts and improves their life, then it's a game changer and we can make it happen. Like you're going to be one of the people that helps make it happen from the halls of Congress starting 2021, after yeah. you win this thing, after you win, yeah. um, what, what district are you in in Virginia? And if someone wants to help you and support your campaign, where do they go? How do they help? We're the first district of Virginia. You can go to our website, uh, rashidforva.com. I'm on social media, at Kasim Rashid, just my name. Really, really easy to find. And, and to add to your point, I mean, there's a reason, Andrew, that our campaign slogan is compassion through action, that having compassion in and of itself isn't enough. You need to take action. Otherwise, it's just a meaningless word that makes you feel good, but doesn't actually do anything. And so we need to elevate the, the level of, of love and compassion we have for humanity into meaningful action to get them the support that they need and deserve the basic human dignity, food, water, shelter, healthcare, education, and clothing. Um, and for those who want to get involved in our kind of a campaign, I don't care what side of the political aisle you are on, if these values matter to you, check us out, rashidforva.com, send us an email to organizing at rashidforva.com, and we will get you on board. 
Yes, they will get you on board. Uh, I love it. Uh, and you're you're beyond a humanist and human humanitarian. You're like a thinker and doer. And I love the doer part because you're right. Um, the only thing that makes me feel better about a problem is doing something about it. Uh, and we just need more Americans to have that same uh, approach because things suck right now. But if we all did something about it, uh, we could improve things pretty quickly. And one thing you can do that's very straightforward is help candidates like Qasem get into Congress where they can actually start uh, pushing uh, the laws of the land in the right direction. Thank you, Qasem. Really, man, I feel great about your race. I think there's going to be a very powerful uh, wind at your back that's going to help blow you <laughs> like forward across this metaphorical finish line. Um, and uh, you're just getting started. It's awesome. Thank you, man. Good to be here. Good to chat with you. Donna Imum's one of the first candidates we got behind. She's an engineer who's been working on automation issues and job training for years. She's running against uh, a guy who's been in Congress for decades and decades uh, and has not accomplished a whole lot. She's running in Austin, Texas, which is an area that is going increasingly purple. Uh, she'd be a phenomenal member of Congress. She's very, very data and solutions driven. Donna Imum. Welcome to Yang Speaks, one of the first candidates we endorsed, Donna Imum, out of Texas's 31st district, which is the Austin surrounding area. Welcome, Donna. Hey, thank you so much for having me, Andrew. It's always so exciting to talk to you. I love your perspective on things. And the way you talk about them so simply on Twitter is really amazing. <laughs> uh, thank, th thank you, Donna. You're, you're so kind. You and I have a lot in common that you're... Um, trained in engineering uh, and worked in automation related issues for years before ever heading near Congress. Uh, tell us about how you came to realize how our economy is changing so fundamentally. Yeah, so, you know, I always tell the story about when I first started out as a development engineer that every single manufacturing worker in my company was laid off. Uh, some of them never worked a day in their life again. Can you imagine that, right? Uh, none of them had any job retraining options at all to be able to you know, take their skills and go into something else. And this economy, what it does is it creates this enormous amount of economic anxiety, even if you have a decent job, because you don't know at what point, which day you'll lose it, you know, all of a sudden, and you are kind of left with nothing. And so my background, you know, is in technology, but in 2008, 2009, when this entire country had the, you know, had, was going through a recession, Austin had some of the lowest unemployment rates. And I saw people who were well-educated that were basically being foreclosed on or didn't have health insurance for two, three years while they were still trying to land a job. And so about six or seven years ago, I joined a nonprofit. And that nonprofit provides free training and education for anybody who wants it. It was in thousands of dollars in debt, but we built it up into a 4,000 member nonprofit. And what I realized through wow. that experience is that we can do much more. We can bring better solutions to make sure that people don't face this kind of anxiety. And that's what led me to run for office. And 
you know, as you know, you and I met in early March 2019 before I had announced. And one of the things that I loved about your platform when you ran is you brought attention to these underlying root causes of these problems. And that's why I took the trip out there to go meet with you when I think most of America hadn't heard of you yet. <laughs> that's true. Early 2019, uh, the Yang Gang uh, was not what it is today. Uh, and you ran as a first-time candidate and shocked everyone when you won the Democratic primary, in part because turnout surged well beyond anything that had happened before. And now you're in position to track down and beat the incumbent uh, in a purplish area. Tell us about how your district has changed and what you've seen on the ground over the last number of weeks. Well, first of all, Andrew, I have to give it to you and your team. You are kind of the lone trailblazer when it comes to looking at Texas and recognizing how critical our race is to turning Texas blue. So when I talk about turning Texas blue, my district, as you mentioned, is North Austin and all of its suburbs. So it encompasses all of Williamson County and almost all of Bell County other than three precincts which are in Texas 25. And what I've been talking about, as you know, is that more than 65,000 new voters, new people moved into this district. They tend to be younger families with children. They tend to vote Democrat. And here's the interesting thing. We just, you know, October 5th is the last day to register to vote in Texas. And so we got the voter registration numbers from Williamson County and Bell County. And guess what? Over this last two years, since 2018, we had an increase of about exactly 65,000 new voters that registered. Imagine that this race was lost in 2018 by only 2.9%, happened to be 8,000 votes at the time. But here's the kicker of this story that you're gonna love. Right now, across entire Texas, if you look at the top 30 most populated counties, Williamson County, has the highest voter turnout. How amazing is that? And remember, in the primary, we talked about how we increased you know, the, the primary um, uh, turnout by 233% in the primary and 257% in the runoff. And we were like, that shows a lot of enthusiasm amongst Democrats. And we're seeing that play out right now. And I hope this stays, you know, uh, stays alive all through the first, you know, the three weeks of early voting that we have. Uh, I'm excited. I'm pumped. I think we have this amazing opportunity at uh, flipping this district blue. And believe it or not, Andrew, you put us on the map, on the national map. <laughs> oh, that's so kind, Donna. You put yourself on the map by uh, getting out there and making the case to the folks in your community. Your opponent, uh, he's in his 70s. How long has he been in Congress? He's been in there. He's a nine term GOP congressman. And believe it or not, while in Texas, we right now see coronavirus cases spiking. We have the second worst death rates in all of the United States. We have people that are on the edge of losing everything right now. Many families, they've lost all the unemployment benefits, right? And guess what he's tweeting about? He's boasting about the fact that he was able to get $3 billion, that's billion with a B, of money for the border wall. Do you think anybody in Texas who is struggling to pay their rent today or 
is challenged. They can't buy groceries to put on their table. Is thinking about the border wall. Yeah, they should get three billion dollars into the the hands of the families in your district. Uh, and I I know uh, you've been one of the earlier champions of cash relief uh, and and uh, universal basic income. Um, your opponent really does seem like the sort of person. He's he's frankly. Uh, like your polar opposite in so many respects where, you know, like you're, you're like a data driven uh, solutions oriented type. I love the fact that you just busted out all the numbers <laughs> for your district, you know, like, you know, done like a true, um, uh, a true math person um, would. Oh, let's talk about uh, trying to get cash relief into people's hands. Uh, after you're sworn in as the newest member of Congress, and that's going to be such a joyous celebration, because I, I really do want people to, to see Donna, engineer, first-time candidate, shockingly won the Democratic primary, now is, uh, is in position to ride a wave of support and all these new voter registrations to upend I think he's 74, John Carter III, not like 18 years uh, in Congress, sort of Republican Trump rubber stamp. Uh, after you get to Congress in 2021, um, what are your top priorities? And is cash relief one of them? Absolutely. So, you know, my biggest priority for Texans, as you know, we Texas has the most number of people with no health insurance and no health care whatsoever uh, across this entire country. So health, getting health care to people in Texas is very, very high on my priority list. But I'm a huge proponent of uh, universal basic income. And here's the reason why. What universal basic income is going to do is it's going to really, really improve and you know, have a huge spike in entrepreneurship. You're going to see kids across this country start new businesses that will give birth to jobs of the future, jobs that you and I haven't even thought about, can't even imagine right now. And this needs to happen if we're to stay, you know, the most uh, developed country in the world, the most technologically advanced country in the world. It is important for us to continuously innovate, right? Uh, decade over decade over decade. And we're seeing some of that innovation die right now, by the way, uh, Andrew. Yep. If you see the investment in AI and machine learning the majority of it right now is not being done in the United States. And I don't know if the American people are aware of this, that it is important for us. Definitely, I think this is a huge, amazing topic that you've brought into the national conversation. And I feel honored to be part of it. And I want to hold that flag. We also need to get, you know, debt-free education so kids can pursue these uh, types of new, new types of jobs and new types of technologies. Yeah, we've made education way, way too expensive. And I agree with you that a lot of the top uh, research and innovations being done outside of the U.S., uh, we've made it harder through a, a whole number of reasons. And then to the extent the work is happening here in the U.S., the average American doesn't feel like they're being included in the progress and prosperity. And so they'll, they'll answer to some very bad leadership. Um, so we have a lot of work to do. But, uh, you know, you're, you're uh, chasing solutions to the biggest problems of our time. And that's one reason why I think you've captured the imagination of so many people uh, in your district where they meet you and they're like, this person could be my congressperson. <laughs> you know, they're, they're probably used to like the John Carter third kind of like to the extent they even like have, have thought about it. And a lot of them are brand new to the district where they just moved there. And then they're like, who's my congressman man or, or woman? And then you're like, well, it's, it's him, but it could be me. <laughs> Yeah, so this is an exciting race. Uh, as I said, 
the voter turnout here is just exploding. And right now we're on top. So I see a strong path to winning and I can't wait to take these ideas that some of them that you've brought to the national stage and uh, other ideas that, to make our healthcare system better, to make it less expensive, uh, to scale our infrastructure, to get more primary care physicians in. I wanna take these ideas to Congress. We're gonna make it happen, Andrew. You're such an inspiration to so many people, including myself. I really, really hope we flip this district and show the rest of the country that we can do this, especially with folks like you behind our campaign. Uh, I think we're gonna get there. Your, your race is very important. I couldn't agree more, Donna. If someone wants to help you uh, get out the vote uh, or volunteer in some way, uh, how do they best reach you or how do they, can they find out more? Please go to our website, sign up at votefordonna.com and sign up to phone bank. We are trying to touch every single voter uh, in different ways, uh, whether that's through you know, sending them a piece of mail or sent leading literature, but also having a conversation with them. So help us have those conversations. We wanna get every single person out to vote. We wanna make sure that they understand that when they vote, they are in charge of their future. We wanna put everybody's future in their hands so they can make a determination. Come out and phone bank for us. And if you can donate, please donate. We would love to have your support. We're one of the you know, most grassroots campaign you could imagine. Uh, we have tens of thousands of donations and our average donation is less than $50, if you can imagine. I can literally count the number of people that have maxed out on our, donate, uh, on our campaign. So imagine that. This weekend, we're trying to do a big lit drop in Bell County to make sure people know uh, what our campaign is all about, the solutions that we're bringing that talks to the challenges of Latino Americans and the Hispanic Americans and Mexican Americans and Black Americans. Bell County is a, a majority minority district. So if you can help us out, you know, donate $5, $10. It helps us support our poll greeters, uh, get them Donna literature as they're walking in, you know, so they know and they go in informed and they can vote Donna. So we would love to have your help. And hopefully, uh, you'll have some wonderful representation, someone that you can be really proud of, policies that you can really get behind. Votefordonna.com. Let's make it happen. Texas 31. Thank you, Donna. You inspire me. Uh, and uh, I, I remember, you know, the, the last couple of weeks on the trail, uh, you know, you you uh, uh, you don't show at all like the, the level of activity you put in. Um, for the last number of months because you've been working hard for a long time. Uh, but the work's about to pay off. We can help make it pay off for Donna. Go to votefordonna.com. Let's help her win. Let's give ourselves cause to celebrate on multiple fronts, not just the top line of the ticket, but in Texas, in Michigan, in Nebraska, around the country. Let's do it. Thank you, Donna. You're making us proud. You're making the Yang Gang proud. You're going to help move humanity forward. I can't wait. Thank you, Andrew. I really appreciate it. In Michigan, John Hoadley is running for Congress in the Kalamazoo area. Uh, I like a lot of things about John. He's been an activist, a small business owner. He's also been a state legislator for six years. So he has a sense of, of how legislation can work to improve people's lives. And now he wants to take that to Congress. Uh, John Hoadley.
I am thrilled to welcome to Yang Speaks the congressional candidate for Michigan's 6th District, Mr. John Hoadley. Welcome, John. It's so good to be here. Thanks, Andrew. Uh, I'm a fan of yours in part because you're a small business owner. I think small business owners understand what's going on in our communities better than just about anyone. You've also been a state legislator in Michigan, which I also think is a fantastic uh training ground because you, you get you get like the good the bad and the ugly can you tell us why you got into politics um in the first place i should start by saying my uh my family is that of like teachers and educators so both my parents um were professors my my sister my cousins aunts they're teachers and you know i, I watch over time how that's the profession has really changed growing up back then my parents paychecks were enough but my sister actually ended up having to leave teaching because it barely covered her paycheck barely covered the cost of childcare and and i found myself that you know really stuck in this idea that we should be investing in the things that help us with the public good and then personally um, you know i my some of my first experience with uh, experiences with politics were uh, having one of those school bond issues um, on the ballot and having it fail and then thinking, who votes against schools? But a ton of people do. But actually, my friends and I, we started knocking doors uh, and talking to people about it when we were in high school, and we got it passed the second time. And so it really showed me that if we do work, we can make change. And that became very personal for me when uh, I came out and was doing work on LGBTQ equality issues before the national conversation was really happening. But I saw with all of that, when we come together that and we tell authentic stories about how policies and politics impacts our lives, we can actually make a big difference and change people's minds on really important issues. And so I've been doing that ever since. I started a business and helped people do it. So I know what it's like to make a paycheck, to buy health insurance, pay taxes. And then ultimately, uh, I ran for state representative thinking about how can I take those skills and advocate for even more people on these big issues. I feel like it's a really big decision to run for state rep. Um, what does that look like in Michigan? Like how much did you, like, what did you have to do? You'd be like, I'm going to run for state rep. Like, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I think it's one of the things that for folks that are thinking about getting involved, you know, raise your hand because there are people that want to help you. And, uh, you know, running for state representative in Michigan meant that I was going to be serving 93,000 people in, in the Kalamazoo area. And for me, that meant knocking on a whole bunch of doors, uh, because it turns out if you talk to people and ask for their vote, they like to have their opinion heard and they want you to do something about it. And, you know, frankly, it's part of what we did to replicate our run for U.S. Congress now. You know, we said, well, since our current our, the current representative doesn't do town halls, let's go meet with people. Since the current representative only does very short meetings with folks who write big checks, why don't we actually try to go and get more voices involved in the campaign? And it seems to be paying off. Uh, tell us about your uh, opponent. So you're in the state house. You're doing your thing. Um, we talked a little bit about this. Uh, Michigan is somewhat unusual in that it has term limits, I believe, uh, of a certain duration. Um, and so you'd look up and say, wait a minute, like my congressman uh, could use an upgrade <laughs> like in, in Michigan's 6th District. So who is your opponent? I believe he's the incumbent. Um, and uh, what does the race look like? Yeah, so you're right, by the way. Michigan has the shortest, strictest term limits in the entire country. Um, and, 
you know, when you look, though, at someone who's been in office for 34 years, like Congressman Upton, you know, you start to wonder, perhaps that's a bit too long. And, you know, especially if we had, when if we the, had term limits, I can verify that they'd be shorter than 34 years. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all agree on that. Though. So if, um, in, you know, especially when it looks at the, the issues that he's choosing to spend his time on or the issues that he's avoiding doing any work on. And, you know, for me, it was all about healthcare. Uh, my partner, Chris, has multiple sclerosis. And so we know what it feels like to have to fight with an insurance company who oftentimes has more power over your treatment than your doctor or you do. That, that's essentially every American's living nightmare that unfortunately has come true for, for way too many of us. Absolutely. Right. And then, you know, I'm like, we get it. Everyone who is sitting there at the start of the year thinking, I sure hope my insurance, if I have it, covers the medication that is keeping me healthy. You know, and every day I will tell you, someone is telling me a new story about how they're fighting with the insurance company to get a prescription covered and then denied. And then they're supposed to pay obscene amounts out of pocket or they worry that, I mean, it's just all messed up. And my member of Congress actually voted 12 times to deny coverage for people with pre-existing conditions. He voted against lowering prescription drug costs. So I'm not sure why he expects people to vote for him this time around, especially during a global health pandemic. Incumbents have a great win rate, no matter what they do, more or less. <laughs> you know, what I mean, like, like they've got a win rate of 90% plus. Uh, it's one reason why I, I love getting behind folks like you who uh, would be a massive upgrade uh, again over over the incumbent and just need people to have a chance to see you and meet you, you know, if they're in Michigan 6th District in the Kalamazoo area. Um, so they can do whatever they want a lot of the time. And when you say like, I don't know how he expects people to vote for him. It's like, well, he figures he's got like a seven digit moat, uh, and, and maybe like, uh, <laughs> maybe a district that is drawn in a way that, that would, uh, make him more confident. Well, and we got lucky cause we were a harder district to gerrymander since they couldn't move Lake Michigan or Indiana, but this is going to be a fight all the way to the finish line. I mean, like you said, Dealing with incumbents are hard to beat, but we're on track to do it. So a couple of big pieces. The polling has been really constant. Uh, Fred Upton has hit a ceiling. He's never getting above 46 47%. And despite the Republicans and outside groups running what's been called the most homophobic campaign in the country and lying about my record as a state legislator, we've actually been closing ground. So we are within the margin of error on the poll. He's up a few points on us. And... Now moving into the home stretch, here's what we know. 195,000 people have a ballot, have requested a ballot in my district. That's huge because 330,000 people total voted four years ago. Uh, of that, over 100,000 people have already returned their ballots. We're going to have a huge voter turnout. And by the way, a big chunk of those are first-time voters. And when you look at the undecideds in the race, the biggest thing that we're seeing in the data is essentially they know enough about the guy that's been there for 34 years. They would like to know a little bit more about me. And so when we are in, when we're still calling voters, when we're still running ads on, on the internet, on TV, it's actually helping people know who I am and that story of why I'm involved. So we've got a bit of a funding gap for this last, you know, few days. And frankly, at this point, contributions are huge because it lets us ramp up and continue to go into additional segments of voters who just don't know enough about me yet, but are inclined to vote for me if they do. We expanded our voting rights in Michigan. So this is gonna be the first election where 
everybody can vote by mail if they want to, where anybody can do same day voter registration. So some of these things that take away the power from the incumbent to actually put it back in the people's hands, they're on, we're going to be able to use them this time. And this feels like the year where people definitely want to see some change. Uh, yeah, the, your uh, your race is one of the most important, uh, fascinating races in the country, in my mind, because it's Michigan and it's a swing state. Um, you know, you're in a, a competitive race uh, and district. Everyone knows that I ran on universal basic income. Uh, where are you on cash relief uh, during the pandemic and thereafter? Well, that's one of the things I really like about you. And it's an idea that I've talked about for a while because you were actually for for universal basic income even before I came along, if I remember right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's a it's an important part of this conversation, especially in a place like Michigan that's had to deal with automation, outsourcing, I mean, a number of issues that we just haven't been able to respond to as fast as we need to. And then the rest of the country saw really firsthand how uh, we've put band-aids over the current global health pandemic where, you know, we're asking people to delay evictions, but we didn't find a way to backfill those uh, those lost revenue. And I'm a legislator. I've served on the Appropriations Committee. I know very well that what is facing us in terms of all of the downstream impacts that this is going to have and how so many of these things could have been avoided with having some consistent, predictable, basic cash relief. Um, like, by the way, so many other countries did throughout this pandemic. The reason why you're such an ideal member of Congress is you're just genuinely a caring person who wants to improve people's lives. And if we put you in position of power, like, I, I know you'll just take that as your framework being like, hey, is this going to help the people in my district? And if so, great. And then uh, if not, why are we talking about it? <laughs> That's right. I mean, right, the idea that we should put people in community at the center of the decisions being made in Washington, D.C. shouldn't be a novel concept. But unfortunately, it is groundbreaking in a place like Michigan's 6th Congressional District. But hey, one last thing for everybody listening. You know, we're seeing huge movement here for anybody that wants to help us um, talk to voters, call, text. We've got a ton of opportunities over at johnhoadley.com on the Join Us tab. Um, and you know, we've got people that are connecting with voters every single day, and it turns out it's making a huge difference, and we need your help to get over the finish line. So just johnhodley.com. That's John H O A D L E Y.com. If you want to help John uh, get into Congress and beat this 34 year uh, Republican incumbent who I, I suspect has not been doing a great job for quite some time. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we're hearing. That is what we're hearing.